Hello and welcome to this episode of the Triage Method Podcast with me, Dr. Gary McGowan, and my colleagues. How are you, gentlemen? I'm positively splendid, Gary. Everyone else? Very well. Doing very well. Doing great. Weather's lovely. We're all done in Cork this week. We're recording a lot of content as part of Triage Media Week, and it's nice to be together with the guys, of course, missing our very own Luke Murray and Dr. Nicola Flanagan. But this week, what we want to talk about is the topic of nutrition coaching. Obviously, we have our best stellar nutrition coaches, Dean and Brian, here with us. We have a nutrition certification. Me and Patty obviously also coach nutrition, and it's a core part of what we do at Triage. Therefore, what we want to cover are the things that we feel you really need to know if you want to be the best nutrition coach you can and thus help as many people as possible use nutrition to improve their health, performance, and body composition. 100%. So, guys, where do we start with this? We can start with this from the angle of, oh, where would you start with a new client? Right? And I feel like we've talked about that a lot on the podcast before. I know you guys have your own podcast where you also have done lots of case studies and everything, but I kind of want this to be a meta podcast in terms of what's the overarching principles. So I don't know where we want to start with this. Do we want to just go into the fundamental knowledge that you need to have about nutrition? Because I want this podcast to both help people who want to become nutrition coaches, people who are already nutrition coaches, where they're like, I, I just, I want to make sure I know what I should know. <laughs> um, but I want it to be a helpful podcast. So do we start with the fundamental knowledge? Do we think that's a good place to start? Yeah, well, you do need to have the fundamental knowledge before then actually applying it to each individual client. So I think it makes sense to start there, right? The fundamental knowledge is the basic nutrition science. You have to understand what's in the food that you're asking people to eat and whatever way you're sort of creating dietary change for people. So the basic stuff like calories, you know, the the calorie values of different foods, um, how to calculate someone's calories for their specific goals, you know, the different macronutrient splits of different food items, the protein, carbs, fats, alcohol, the micronutrient density of certain foods, and you know, generally you know, you don't have to be like super it doesn't have to be like super you're not you don't have to have a super deep knowledge in terms of like yes there's this amount of vitamin c in this or this amount of vitamin e in this but you should have at least some knowledge in terms of like right that is a good source of vitamin c or this food group over here is a good source of calcium because then that's obviously what's going to allow you to then create a wholesome varied diet for for your client which is obviously you know you want to make sure that they're prioritizing their health as well as obviously their, their fat loss, muscle gain, performance goals and everything like that. So I think like a, a general foundational knowledge of nutrition science as a, as a starting point is super important. And then you can start to layer in, right, how do I actually communicate to this, this to each client based on what their goals are? Like obviously I've created, well I say obviously, it's obvious to us, but maybe it's not obvious to the listener, but I've created the nutrition coaching certification course that we, we have. And I've thought about this a lot in terms of how do you strike the balance between teaching someone the fundamental knowledge, like what actually is the fundamental knowledge, and then actually teaching them how to coach that. Because I feel like that's, a, that's the part that is often very... Like it's vague, it's missing in a lot of nutrition education. People aren't really taught how to actually implement this stuff, but you can't skip the foundational knowledge and just go straight to implementation. You know, you need to have a very solid 
understanding of we'll call it nutritional science perhaps um, and that it comes back to calories so you need to know about energy like the energy contribution of food itself the overall energy requirements of a human how that changes given different circumstances if you know someone is exercising a lot someone has a high you know baseline activity level maybe someone is smaller bigger more muscle mass more uh, body fat like how the body actually changes in terms of its energetic requirements again you need to know that even though it's not necessarily part of nutrition it does have a huge bearing on our overall nutritional understanding our overall nutritional approach right so we can call it that kind of like calories in calories out equation that's often the starting point that we use for a lot of people where okay we're just going to understand how many calories you need to put into this system based on how many calories you are outputting right and then we can manipulate around that if we have a fat loss goal for example if we just want to maintain our body weight if we want to gain body weight all that kind of stuff right and i feel like if you understand that as a concept the energetic requirements you've actually done a huge amount in terms of furthering your nutritional knowledge because the vast majority of people don't get that right. The vast majority of people, they overconsume food, they underconsume food, and they're, or they're just not sure about how much food that they should be eating, right? So do you guys have anything to say on the energetic component as a uh, foundational thought? A foundational it's knowledge. It's a foundational principle that like, if you're assembling a diet for somebody or some sort of nutrition protocol, you have to know what what outcome you're looking for and what you're actually trying to achieve with that. And if you were missing that piece, then you're just throwing reckless diets at people that mm. don't make any sense. So yeah, it's incredibly important to have that that baseline understanding. Mm. And this is actually one of those things that you do see quite a lot in just the general population as well as with coaches. They focus too much on the protocols, the implementation of it, rather than the actual baseline understanding. And this can translate to, for example, people are like, oh, this is a good or bad food, right? And like, yes, there can be good or bad foods for a given goal, but there's no inherent good or bad food, right? And you can get really sidelined focusing too much on, we'll call it diet quality, which it is important, and we will talk about that now in a second, um, but you can focus too much on diet quality at the exclusion of focusing on the actual diet quantity. And I know we see this all the time. A lot of new clients come and they say, look, I'm eating healthily. I'm eating a good healthy diet. I'm eating good food choices. I see online that I should eat these kind of foods, and I'm doing that but I don't have the body composition that I want, or I don't have, I'm not fulfilling the energetic requirements uh, for my given goal, you know? So again, it is really important to get that fundamental understanding of calories, energy, because it is literally the base of the pyramid. You can't do anything else, you, or you rather you could do everything else on top of that, but you're always gonna be on shaky foundations, right? Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah. like I think the, when you look at the population, what are some of the issues that they're experiencing with their health and how is nutrition feeding into that? Well, one of the things is, as Stefan Gine calls, energy toxicity. They're consuming toxic levels of calories to the point where it's creating a lot of overweight and obese individuals, within, which then downstream affects their health. Obviously, there is diet quality considerations with like nutrient deficiencies and people not eating enough fiber and too much saturated fat and all the rest of it. 
But as you say, like a lot of the times when someone comes to us and they have a fat loss goal, one of the first things that we're trying to do is modify their calorie intake because they're essentially going through life through this obesogenic environment where they're encouraged to overconsume calories for a variety of reasons, obviously. Um, but yeah, as a nutrition coach, you need to have an understanding of how to manipulate someone's calorie intake to then help them obviously change their energy intake and, and achieve their, their health and all body composition performance goals, etc. Yeah, and the, and the name of our company, Triage, is something that's really important to consider here too because the, the name has nothing to do with the number three or anything as people often think. There's four of us here. There's like, oh no, what are you going to do? There's not three of you. It's quad edge. Yeah, quad edge, no. <laughs> not a quad between us. And uh, tri but, but triage comes back to, initially it comes from the, the battlefield and medical care in the battlefield. But if you go into any hospital, what you'll see is a triage room. And the whole idea of triage is that you pick the patients or you pick the problems that are most important to deal with right now and the others then get dealt with down the line. So when we look at popula population health and the health of a lot of the clients that present to us, when we look at their number one problem that needs to be taken care of, it's often the energy content of the diet. There are loads of different methods we can use to modify that, but that's the problem we need to deal with. So if you were to come into us and we start worrying about your zinc status or selenium status or something along those lines, that may very well be a problem. Just like a chest infection might be a problem for someone who's come in with a fractured pelvis, but which problem are you gonna deal with first? It's the pelvis. And in this case, it's gonna be the energy content of the diet rather than stressing about the other nuances which we will deal with down the line in succession. Yeah, and again, as a nutrition coach, you see this all the time where people, you get uh, too enamored with the specific protocol that you got results with or that you find works for a lot of clients that come to you. You know, you're going, oh, well, I like, again, like we'll say like the paleo diet or keto or whatever, but they can all work. There's potentially nothing wrong with these, you know, we'll call them fad diets are often called, um, or just these kind of diet styles. Um, but they only work by virtue of the energetic stuff. So you kind of want to go to the source. You kind of want to understand, okay, well, if I understand the energetic components, I understand the calories and all that kind of stuff. I can be tool agnostic. I can use whatever type of diet. I can use a variety of different methods for a variety of different clients or even within the same client because you understand the foundational principles rather than only understanding or only knowing rather the protocols, you know? And you say yeah. That? And I mean, Gary, you often refer to the fact that the more you learn about human physiology and nutrition, medicine, all that stuff, it just, it just reconfirms for you that it just comes back to this baseline issue. Absolutely. Yeah. And a client reminded me of this the other day, you know, he was saying to me, Look, Gary, I have a fair idea of what I'm doing, but I have just about enough knowledge to be dangerous. And I think that's a beautiful way of putting it because what happens when people initially start to study nutrition is they'll start learning something like nutritional biochemistry and they'll learn about the metabolism of different nutrients and things like that. And you think when you start on that journey that there's going to come a point where I'm going to understand all the different hacks for metabolism and the special dietary strategies. But what I have found, and I'm sure what all of us have found, is that the more experienced you become, both practically and in terms of your knowledge, the more you actually end up simplifying your approach. You use a smaller range of tools, even though the toolbox itself is larger. So that's something you'll see with all advanced coaches. Okay, so 
you need to understand calories, yep. foundation. Then we've got the macronutrients. Now we could go from calories, we go, oh, if you understood energy, we could just focus on food quality. And that does to some degree look after the macronutrients, especially if you've uh, the kind of diet style that we often recommend. But I think if we understand the macronutrients first, then we can actually build a better diet quality on the back end of that by virtue of the food choices we make to actually hit those macronutrients, right? So if you are a coach, you're gonna to have to understand macronutrients. Now, for the, or the vast majority of people that you're likely to deal with as a coach, or if you're listening to this and you wanna learn yourself, you're just looking for improvements in your health, fitness, body composition, whatever, like the, probably the two biggest levers you have to pull are calories, so we've already talked about that, and then protein intake. Because the vast majority of people are just not getting enough protein in their diet. Now, obviously some people potentially are, they're potentially over-consuming it. You, know, you might see like bodybuilders, for example, they very often over-consume protein at the expense of other macronutrients that might actually be more beneficial for them, right? So we need to have an understanding of the macronutrients, but we also have to understand that there is a bit of a hierarchy, right? So we need to, again, calories, understand that, understand how much protein you need to you know, assign effectively to a client. But, and we'll talk about this a little bit in a second in terms of implementation, but you can't just give them a number. Well, you can, right? And that can be effective. I often do that as well with a lot of my clients where I go, I want you to hit this number, and then I'm gonna see how you go about that, and then we can adjust from there, right? But that's, again, implementation, right? But what you do need to know, if you're gonna say, oh, I need you to eat 150 grams of protein, you should have a good idea in terms of what that looks like as food, and then how that would be proportioned out across the day, right? Because humans don't eat macronutrients, they do, but if I tell you, oh, you need to eat 50 protein, like you're not going, oh, I need to eat 50 protein. You're going, okay, I need to eat chicken, I need to eat beef. Like you're thinking of foods. So you have to know what kind of foods are you know, available to that person and they're, they're gonna be able to use to hit that target, right? And this applies for carbohydrates as well and fats. And the two of them, you can kind of interchange them in terms of they are uh, energy substrates, which, you know, it's just basically providing energy to the diet, which we've talked about in terms of calories. However, there are some kind of delineating factors within that, like certain goals, certain populations are gonna do better with a higher fat diet, a lower fat diet, a higher carb, lower carb approach, you know? So you kind of have to be a little bit agnostic to the exact percentages that you assign to these. Like you can't just be like, oh, I'm just the, the low fat guy. I just only do 10% fat diets or whatever, right? So it is important to understand both of them, the reasons why you wanna have fats in the diet, the reasons why you wanna have carbohydrates in the diet, you know, all that kind of stuff what populations are gonna do better with more or less of that nutrient. And then also you kind of have to look at it and go, what deficiencies or what things are going to occur if I don't get a certain food in the diet? Because this is something that coaches very often forget. Like you'll say, oh, I just want you to drop 10 grams of fat out of your diet, right? And all of a sudden that person has to change their diet massively. Now they're not able to eat the foods that they enjoy. They're not able to live their life. They're not able to engage with nutrition like they actually want to. And then it also potentially leads to actual deficiencies, um, which might be an issue, may not be an issue. Like for example, you might 
again cut out fat and now this person is just getting very little omega-3s in their diet as a result because they're like oh well i'm not gonna have a fatty cut of like fish or something because that's too many calories for me and i'm only on 40 grams of fat so it that's not happening you know and um, so we do have to be aware of that which feeds really directly into our understanding of the overall food matrix and what we often term as food quality the food choices that you are making right and i'll give the floor to everyone else but the final thing i want to say is once you have that understanding of calories and macronutrients then you can almost exclusively focus on foods right the food choices that you actually make which makes you such a better coach because you can actually talk to people in the language that they actually speak again as i said earlier people aren't eating macronutrients they're eating food so if you go oh well like this is what i want you to eat across the day in terms of the macronutrients the calories this is what it kind of looks like in terms of this is you know breakfast choices would look like this lunch choices would look like this dinner choices would look like this you can speak to them in an actual food uh, manner and improve the overall diet quality as a result of that like i think the translation of everything that you described there into specific foods is the key thing the key thing that makes you a nutrition coach because like you know you could have a guy who has a phd in nutrition science but you know he could he could understand all of the intricacies of you know the pro protein specific foods or whatever it is um, or protein as a macronutrient like you might have done a phd in protein as an example but like a nutrition coach is going to be able to disseminate that information and then be able to say to the client okay i understand what dietary changes is going to move you from where you are now to where you want to be and that's the whole reason why you're paying me but i'm going to decodify that and, and actually speak your language and that's part of the like i'm sure we'll talk about it later the actual coaching psychology you want to speak the language the same language as your clients don't be using jargon and stuff like that um, but that is the key thing you know as, as you said like i think we were joking earlier or yesterday in the gym about um you know when you start your coaching journey you're kind of a little bit like a parrot you know you're just sort of like you're choreographed yeah, as you said choreography. yeah just follow choreography this is what i was told to do this is this yeah. is what i do and it's you know it's it's not like you're just sort of like relaying the information verbatim like perfectly to your client without actually understanding oh well like why would i why would i give this client this type of dietary structure so as an example like the protein guidelines say 1.6 to 2.3 grams per kg right so that's like i think that that across the board is a pretty good recommendation however if you have a guy that comes into you and he's 200 kg you know you're not going to give him 2.3 grams of protein per per kilogram of body weight that'd be ridiculous you know <laughs> so it's like you, you then have to sort of say right well i have to adjust my estimations to meet this client because i understand fundamentally why am I giving this guy protein? Well, it's for muscle mass maintenance and it's for appetite regulation, etc., etc. Um, but he, you know, it's it's not helpful for me to doggedly stick to these recommendations, um, even though the recommendations are fairly rock solid across the board. But because you understand the principles of why you would give someone protein, you can then make more tailored recommendations and then obviously translate it into food for them. Which brings us on to the next point, which is implementation. Right, so it's very easy to find information about nutrition science. Like there's a whole branch of science 
dedicated to it. You can go to research papers, you can go to books, you can go to you know educated individuals. There's so much free inf information online. Like we have a Foundations of Nutrition article on the website and you can go to that and you can come away with a phenomenal level of understanding of, oh, this is what a good diet setup generally looks like, right? That information is actually really readily available. So at a baseline, if you are a nutrition coach and you don't know that, okay, you need to really, really focus on that stuff, right? So that's out of the way. The actual key, the thing that distinguishes someone from being like an okay kind of nutrition coach to being a really good nutrition coach to being able to really help people with their nutrition is the actual implementation of that. Now we often talk about having like a, a big toolbox, right? So you have many tools, depending on the job, you're gonna use a different tool for the different individual, depending on you know what they have going on in their life, what their goals are, et cetera, et cetera, right? But you can only have that big toolbox if you understand the fundamentals, if you understand how to adjust a diet based on someone's needs, right? But we still need to translate that foundational knowledge into something that people can actually do, right? And we use a, like a variety of approaches, but one of the kind of approaches that I, we teach on the uh, course is we have what we call tiers, right? And these kind of nutrition tiers, there's three of them. The first one is more of a kind of what would we say, habit-based approach to things where you're just focusing on, oh, well, if you follow these habits on a day-to-day -day basis, your nutrition is kind of naturally going to improve or it's gonna to get to a level that is closer to what we ultimately want, right? So we can focus on the habits, that's tier one. And then tier two is really more focused about portion control. Now there's still some degree of portion control in the habits, so that's, that's part of it. But the portion control in tier two is having a more formalized approach in terms of, oh, this is what a plate should look like, how much percentage or proportion of that plate should be protein versus carbohydrates versus fats versus vegetables, those kind of things, right? So we're still talking to the individual at a very, um, again, food-focused way in terms of, oh, these are the kind of foods that you should be eating, this is the kind of proportion your meals should follow. And then in tier three, it's much more focused on calories and macronutrients and kind of calorie and macronutrient tracking. And you might think, oh, well, I'll just go to tier three. That's the most scientific. That's the best way to go about things. But that's not necessary for everyone. And if that's the approach you take where you're just like, oh, I only ever use this one approach, this one implementation tool with all my clients, you're gonna fall behind. You're gonna be, not be able to help as many people. And yes, you're gonna be able to help some people because obviously certain tools work for certain jobs, but it's not a kind of more holistic approach to nutrition where you can help multiple people with that, uh, your kind of thing. So guys, do you have anything to say on the implementation aspect? Yeah, like the tiers, the you know, tier one, Tier two provides kind of a scaffolding or a skeleton yeah. for tier three anyway, right? So Yeah, and also yeah, like if you're doing tier three, you're, you're still you're doing, doing tier, tier one, one and still doing tier two. <laughs> but if someone is like a very raw beginner in terms of their nutrition and how their lifestyle is set up, like they'll get a lot of benefit from just working on the tier one habits, for example. And if they're doing that, like you know, if they're eating three to four meals per day and they're eating protein in every meal. Well, then it makes it more likely that they're going to be closer to their tier three targets if they mm. get that far, you know. Um, and then by looking a bit more at portion control in tier two, 
again, it makes it more likely. So then when they do transition into tier three, it's, it's kind of slotting into place already and then you're just fine tuning it rather than, than they, they're having to learn like this completely from scratch. Because if you just give someone numbers and without any sort of extra guidance, then like they they could do that very haphazardly and it'll, mm. their their food diary could look a bit all over the place because if you if you haven't given them any direction on how to go about this mm. which yeah is what and this is do. one of those things that you do see all the time where people use something like calorie and macro tracking and they're like okay i got the results while i was doing it but then you know they go oh, i don't, I don't want to do my fitness pal anymore and then they go away from that and all of a sudden They've, they haven't built any good food habits. They don't know roughly how to structure their meals or their day to keep them feeling full, keep them feeling energetic, etc. So they just fall off track because they're, they're not using a tool, right? But that's why we need to have this, again, more holistic approach to things. And we need to be strategy or protocol agnostic. We're simply viewing them as a tool in our toolbox, right? If you do calorie and macro tracking, that can be phenomenal. You can even start people that have a very low level understanding of nutrition and everything and go, I just want you to hit these targets, right? And then they'll hit the targets. But if that's where it stops, that's, it's not really all that helpful, right? And again, it can work. It's, it's not to say it's a bad approach. And some people, they just, they just like that approach. Like I personally, I like calorie and macro tracking, right? But for a lot of people, they're gonna need way more attention to, oh, well, how do we structure your day? Are you eating before your training in the morning? Like, what does the meal look like? You know, we need to build those kind of fundamental habits across the day that then allow you to build a nutrition structure so that when you're 70 years old, you still have a good holistic approach to nutrition rather than, oh, I just have to use my fitness pal to you know, make sure I'm hitting my calorie and macronutrient targets, you know? Which again, it's not a bad approach. Works phenomenally for a lot of people. It can actually be a phenomenal tool, a phenomenal launching point for other stuff down the road, but it is just a tool. So do you guys have anything to say in terms of implementation uh, by virtue of different strategies or protocols that you might use with people? And maybe you might say something on like, how you kind of think about approaching different clients because well i did say earlier on that a lot of people like the nutrition science stuff is very readily available and again you should definitely have a a good grasp of that if you want to be a nutrition coach the unfortunate thing is a lot of protocols strategies whatever you want to call them are also readily available in terms of people say oh keto diet that's that's an implementation tool right so we're just going to do the keto diet we're just going to do a paleo diet we're just going to do xyz diet so it's just a strategy that's very accessible but there's no like joined up thinking in terms of where that fits into a larger understanding of nutrition and a larger framework for oh yeah that might be appropriate for X client, but it's not appropriate for Y client, right? So I don't know if you guys want to start, we'll start with Brian maybe, uh, if you want to talk about anything you potentially do strategy-wise, protocol-wise, when you're kind of starting with someone? Yeah, I mean, I usually start with the protein elements, and then once we get that squared away, like, you know, I will inform people in terms of, okay, portions of these foods will give you that much protein, and if you do that, several times per day then you'll probably hit those targets and um, whether they're tracking or not like i'll know kind of where i want them to be so i'm gonna just give them like okay it's this amount of a protein rich food and then let them structure their day with that um and we'll 
you know, I'll have an idea obviously where I want their diet to get to. You know, I talk about it a lot as like going from A to B, it's like going from average diet to brilliant diet. So I want to kind of hold their hand in terms of making those changes and saying, okay, I know where we want to get to. I'm going to start with where you're currently at in terms of your diet and we'll start making modifications to that based on like, you know, quite small, simple suggestions um, that aren't going to be overwhelming for the person. Um, and then we review that and we take it from there and we look at the type of foods that they're eating and little by little improving the whole process. So that's like, I know that's not a specific protocol, but it is a But that's what we want. Approach. We want to talk about the overall like yeah. framework, the thinking, rather than the exact implementation tools. Like you're basically saying like, I'm going to help this person focus on their habits to kind of move them in the direction. And also there's a degree of portion control stuff in there mm. to move them in the direction that you ultimately want to do. And you have an understanding of calories, macronutrients, all those kind of things. So you know what a good diet would look like from a quantitative point of view and then also a qualitative point of view where you're like oh like this is you know good food choices are probably going to revolve around uh, leaner meats for example lots of fresh fruit and bread fresh food i can't even speak fresh fruit and veg uh, and then like other components of the diet like you might go okay well you know you are eating an excessive amount of saturated fat or whatever we're going to change that around or you know food choices across the week, you're not getting any fatty fish, you might be, you know, not eating enough omega-3 for, you know, different things like that. But it's not uh, one size fits all, oh, we're going to do this. Like yeah. your, your actual tools, it's kind of like, here I have a framework for how I like to do things. But if someone comes to you and they're further along the process, like they're like, my diet is generally good, I just need a little bit of help of making it perfect. Mm. Like you're not going to start at, okay, well, we're just going to focus on the protein and they're like okay i'm i'm done I'm already like i'm already that. doing that like are you paying attention you know <laughs> so the tool the protocol the system is not the end goal the end goal is actually building a good diet and the way you go about that can be very different mm. yeah and there's there's just fundamental things to get nailed down and the things like fruit and vegetable intake things like lean protein intake overall diet quality and you know you can see what someone's doing with their nutrition and just help them make those changes mm. and let them know like okay here's what you can do here to get you further along with where you want to be and then it depends on you know the person what the, the limiting factors are like you know for, fundamentally you're trying to eliminate like deficiencies and not not spoken in like the strict nutrition micronutrient yeah not not or micronutrient deficiency we're just looking at like okay what are the sort of glaring holes in this person's approach to their nutrition currently and how can we go about shoring them up so again using a triage approach um and then other specific strategies around that will just be dependent on like what does this person's lifestyle look like you know what kind of foods do they like to eat you know, are they hungry in the morning, for example? If they're not, then, you know, does that mean they're a candidate for like intermittent fasting if they need some degree of uh, help with energy control, which, you know, most people do, maybe they're a good candidate for that in that case. And that's a tool I will use with some people. But again, never gonna be just like the intermittent fasting guy. Yeah. Um, and that's the only tool in the toolbox. So it's like just another way you can approach this. And there are so many ways and you can get creative with it like as well when you're looking at the person but it's you know it's got to be tailored to the individual i think to say okay well this is what this person's life looks like and this is what their nutrition is currently looking like and these are the issues they're having and this is what they need help with so 
let me think about that as a coach and how I'm going to actually mm. help them resolve it. Right, and you can test and try things. You know, you can you can try different things with people. Um, you know, people probably know I work with a lot of people with like disordered eating issues and poor relationships with food, etc. So, you know, they may expect that you know I wouldn't impose kind of rules on the mm-hmm. diet. Okay, but yeah, actually, just hold that there for a second because the approach that I like for most people, I like, okay, we're gonna use calorie and macro tracking, and then I'm gonna basically go, I want you to hit these calories and I want you to hit these macronutrients, right? Go away, sink or swim, right? I'm gonna throw you in the deep end here. And people come back then, they go, oh, like I, I, I tried this, you know, I didn't, I fell short of my protein or, you know, I wasn't getting enough fiber or whatever, right? So then we can go, oh, let's tidy up the diet here. Oh, this is why you fell short. Oh, this day you did incredibly well with your protein intake. So we'll use this as a kind of scaffold for protein intake in future days, right? So I kind of like that sink or swim approach. Doesn't work for everyone. And we'll come back to that's why I interrupted you. But that's the approach I like. That's the general kind of framework I'll use with a lot of clients. If you're a client listening to this, you'll see that I do this, like let's do calorie macro tracking. And then we start working on different habits, different food structure, different things to really make that a more cohesive diet for you as an individual. Um, but that kind of approach, if I was to just use that with someone that's coming to me with like binge eating or a really poor relationship with food, maybe they tried calorie and macronutrient tracking before and now they're like, this, this literally gave me anorexia because I was just trying to get the number down as low as possible. Like if that's the only tool, if this is the only tool that I have, even if you go, oh, look, that's actually a, a pretty good tool, I like to think at least, is a pretty good protocol strategy overarching framework for thinking about nutrition, well, coaching nutrition, it's not gonna work for this person. So I'm just not gonna be able to help this person if that's the only tool that I have, the only protocol that I have. And it's a good protocol, but it's, you have to have more tools in your toolbox. Yeah, anyway. so you have to take a, a flexible approach and not just in the sense that you know, you're, using, you're doing flexible dieting mm-hmm. or anything like that, using an inclusive approach. You need to be flexible and you know, don't be rigid in, in ha- having to stick to your one gun that you might have. You know? mm-hmm. So that, that client I was referring to, um, she was an A&E doctor and she was eating quite a lot of you know treats and, and kind of junk food across the day, like disproportionate amount of energy coming from those foods. A lot of that stuff was just her grabbing stuff as she was running around the hospital. You're busy, yeah, right. And you know, and her relationship with food wasn't like fantastic when we started. So if I had just said, okay, well, she doesn't have a great relationship with food, so I can't put like restrictions on her because that will be bad for that. But like thinking about it more broadly, it's like, okay, look, how about you you can make a commitment not to eat that kind of food when you're in work because I talk about it as being kind of very low value or low yield like if you're running around and just grabbing biscuits like you're not, you're not fucking tasting the stuff you're not really enjoying it you're just kind of grabbing it as you go by it's not really doing anything for you so I said okay let's strike a deal here where you'll only eat that sort of stuff in a sort of high yield environment which is often when people are at home for the evening they've had their dinner and stuff and they can actually sit down and enjoy some sort of dessert type thing right so we made that yeah i often call it i'm like these foods are not off limits like they're not like you're never allowed to eat them they're just not high priority yeah you're like you can eat them i'm not saying you can't but they're not our first choice they're not the thing that we're going to prioritize in the diet yeah so like we, we set that up as like you know a, a rule so to speak um and it worked really well and her relationship with food got better and her diet got better her health got better all her goals got better right by 
sort of being flexible with how I'm thinking about this based on the individual. Mm -hmm. Gary, do you have any uh, strategies or protocols or how do you kind of think about, you know, starting someone's diet? What kind of implementation do you use? Yeah, a core question that I like to ask, especially following on from what Brian's just said is, when do you eat and why do you eat when you eat? Like that's actually a really important question that we probably don't ask enough as coaches most of the time because it's not always just hunger and it's certainly not always just energy needs. And what you'll often find is that people in that situation see it all the time in the hospitals. You know, patient might drop in a box of chocolates for the nurses because, you know, they did a good job minding her mother, for example. And I always, I was talking with a client about this last week. There's sort of an obligation. It's all, it almost feels like if I'm at work and I'm getting something for free, we never get anything for free and it's chocolate and work is bad enough, I should get stuck into that. But like Brian said, it doesn't often provide the same reward as if you're having the chocolate bar, relaxing in the evening with your cup of tea, it's planned. It's a much nicer experience. So when do you eat and why do you eat when you eat? Is it, is it stress? Is it, you know, that like at work when you're just super busy, you've got, you're after getting free food or is it the food environment around you? And then how can we modify those things? Because you'd be surprised how much of a difference that can actually make to the quality of your nutrition because most people sabotage their diets not by the decisions they make when they're cooking their meals they're often the good decisions it's the snacking it's the picking it's the food that's dropped into work so if you can get control of those things that's absolutely huge and those two questions are core for a nutrition coach yeah i think that why as well like yeah. you can ask that in so many different ways like for example you might have a client that is just like, I'm really struggling to get enough protein in. And then you look at their food and you're like, you, you literally don't eat any protein at breakfast. And you go, well, why is that? And you go, oh, well, the entire time that I was growing up, um, we just didn't have any high protein breakfast foods. You know, I would never eat meat for breakfast, for example. I, would, I wouldn't eat any like, you know, maybe Greek yogurt or anything like that. It's just not in their like food vocabulary, right? And you ask them why, and then logically they're like, well, it's just the way I've always done it, yeah. right? And that's not bad or good, but they just don't have the framework. They don't have the thinking because it's just it, it's just not on their, their radar because it's just never been something that they do. And you can then go, well, we can actually eat some food. We can actually eat some protein for breakfast. You don't have to have this arbitrary food rule that you've made for yourself based on your overall cultural conditioning or whatever, your upbringing, where you just don't eat protein for breakfast, right? And it might be hard. It might be hard to really, you know, implement that. And like with the snacking and stuff, again, like if you're a nurse or whatever, it might be hard to say, no, like you're going to reject this gift that someone has given you to celebrate the fact that you've done a great job. Like it's very hard to stop those kind of things, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible, right? And we can still work on it to improve the diet overall. So I do definitely agree with that kind of like asking more and actually connecting more and getting people to think about their diet a little bit more. What about you, Dean? Is there any like, strategies, implementation tools, protocols that you kind of use? Yeah, I just want to linger a little bit in terms of what you've just talked about there because I think at the start of the podcast, we talked about right calories, macros, understanding the fundamental principles. But I think the hallmark of a really good nutrition coach is their ability to zoom out and look at what food represents 
in multiple different domains of a client's life, right? So obviously we have the whole thing of, right, we need, to, we need food to stay alive. Food obviously has influences on our sporting goals. Food influences our body composition. But as you said there, Gary, there is a social aspect of food, you know, the, the sweets in, in, in work. You know, when, when you go to any social event, whether it's a wedding, a, a christening, um, you know, a birthday party, you know, more sort of like, uh, you know, any sort of function really, there is food, there's also going to be alcohol, but food is a big component of that. And that is similar across all cultures in our history, really. You know, there's just, there's just this central role of food. And thus, there's all of these different components that influences our food decision making. You know, as I say, like Brian, you work with so many people and uh, I myself work with people who have issues with emotional eating. You know, and like the, it's, it's, in, it's in the two words there, emotional eating. There is this emotional connection to food. So, you know, having the fundamental knowledge of, you know, the biochemistry, the physiology, you know, the, the metabolic consequences of eating XYZ, that's really important. But once you kind of have the, a baseline of that covered, you then want to make sure that you're considering all of these other interlinking factors that influences food with, within, your, within your clients, um, if you're working with people's nutrition um, within their lives. Because as, as I say, like, you know, it might be a simple sort of like, well, why don't you just eat more protein? But it's like, as you said, oh, well, it's, uh, it's not something that I never did. You know, I had this sort of like generational family belief system that has been brought down. It's like, it's weird to eat protein. Why, you know, some, some people like they, they've gone through most of their life maybe uh, from a, a, an economic standpoint or a financial standpoint and maybe not having enough money to, to sort of uh, eat a diet that is, you know, varied and, you know, maybe breakfast was a thing that they never ate and they're like, in their whole life it was just like you got water and a cup of tea and on you went to school and it's funny because like when you ask like whenever I'm talking to my dad or my mom about you know what their what the sort of the food represented for them back in the day it's kind of like the whole thing of you got sweets once a week after mass whereas now it's like kids have sweets every day maybe twice a day and they're inundated with choice whenever they go into the shop you know so Food represents quite a lot um, in our life and it's not just like, oh, just track your calories or just eat more protein or whatever it is. Yes, that stuff's obviously important, but having this, having the ability to zoom out and look at, right, why is this per person making these food decisions um, and sort of considering these social, emotional, economic um, factors that are all going to um, have a strong uh, influence on what they're, what they're doing from day to day, week to week, month to month. Yeah, one of those things you can really do as well is where you ask people to, like, effectively question them. I mean, like, where did you learn this? You know, like, where who who taught you this? Because you, I'm sure you've all had this uh, process happen to yourself where there's just a fact that you were told as a child, you know, in school or whatever, and you just go, okay, I've no context, I've no broader understanding, so that must be reality. These people that are, you know more powerful, more knowledgeable, whatever. My teacher told me X, Y, or Z, so I'll just accept it. And then as a teenager or as an adult or whatever, you go, wait, hold on, I've now just been presented with information that's just completely different. That, that, that thing that they told me is just completely wrong. You know, like you were effectively lied to, not through any like malicious means or whatever, it's just the person got it wrong, right? And that's just something that you believed your whole life. 
and it's kind of the same with nutrition where like okay someone taught you how to eat this way someone taught you how to eat this diet or someone allowed you especially as children like your parents just effectively allow you to eat a certain way um but it doesn't mean that it's right and it doesn't mean that you're a bad person for eating that way but you do have to kind of question like why did like all these food rules that you've created for yourself and that potentially aren't serving you right now like who taught you them who made you eat that way or who kind of uh showed you how to eat that way right and that is an important question to ask because sometimes you'll just come across these things and again like i said earlier on where you just go oh that was wrong i now just have to update my approach okay i can i can do something else and it just takes that little bit of like eye opening where you go oh i can actually do something else i don't just have to fall back on the habits that were ingrained as a child you know um so i don't know if you guys have anything else to say before we move on to the next point just on that point it's a really useful question to ask yourself as a coach as well. How do I know what I know? Mm. Because you should challenge yourself pretty yeah. regularly in terms of like, okay, is, is this advice based on non-evidence or, you know, did I potentially pick this up somewhere and it, is it still accurate? So yeah, asking, asking your clients how they know what they know, but then also asking yourself how you know what you know is super, super important. Yes, 100%. And Brian, as you're speaking, we might as well bring it to you as well. As a coach, I would argue that one of the fundamental things that you do have to really build and understand is the ability to be compassionate and empathetic and actually communicate with an individual in front of you. Because even though we've been talking about nutritional science, like that's very much removed from the actual lived experience for most people. And then even though we've been talking about the kind of implementation and different kind of strategies or protocols, all of that is useless if you can't actually effectively talk to the person in front of you, can't actually effectively help them with their nutrition because you can't communicate with them. And I don't mean you speak a different language, I mean you're not actually able to convert the nutritional biochemistry or whatever that you know into something that makes sense for them. And I'm not trying to infantilize or make people like to be stupid or something I'm like if i say protein like i think you're intelligent enough to understand what protein is right um but it's actually translating that information in a way that actually makes sense given their context for the overall diet so you're going to say in terms of you know coaches are going well how do, how, how do i actually build you know compassion empathy and communication skills mm. Uh, yeah, I think they're super important traits to have in terms of like building empathy and, and building compassion. I'm not sure how much of that is, you know, just sort of nature versus mm. nurture and how much of that you, you can learn. Like you can definitely learn compassionate approaches to, well, all sorts of things really. Um, but like, <laughs> I think fundamentally you don't care about your client like you. Well, you're probably in the wrong game. You're probably, yeah, and, and hopefully you haven't got into the business uh, in terms of nutrition coaching. Yeah, like, uh, imagine Donald Trump as a nutrition coach. Like, <laughs> it would just be crazy, like, right. probably the greatest diet ever. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Gary, you, you were doing that Q&A yesterday, and you had someone say that they were dealing with binge eating, and they found a nutritionist to be quite cold in terms of, yeah, it's, in, it's... In terms of working with them. And I can see that would happen like that yeah. person knows plenty about nutrition yeah they say okay here's, here's the diet that you need to follow to yeah. get the results that you want and if you can't do it they're a bit like 
well, what you mean you can't do it? Like, yeah. It's easy like, on paper. Like, just hit these problems. Like, did you just eat this way? And then yeah, just it. do it. Like. So you have to think about the person that you're dealing with and, and their life circumstances and you need to build rapport. And, you know, it's not unlike in, you know, therapeutic set, um, settings, like the, the biggest predictor of success is the, the relationship with the practitioner, right? So it's not a million miles away from from actually coaching people like you know you build rapport and you have a good dialogue with these people to you know help them figure out what they're dealing with because like you know you see this a lot where you know clients may be like worried about disappointing you as a coach or letting you down and all that sort of thing and that's kind of hangover from it's drill sergeant like do what i tell you yeah like poor approaches that maybe yeah. maybe they've been exposed to in the past like very aggressive kind of body transformations that's like the the coach is just going for a great before and after mm -hmm. and they're just going to push that person to the brink and they don't really care if the person is struggling it's like you know dig in and you know get it done basically like, which you know is a terrible coach a coach terrible approach to coaching um you know we we always talk about a client-centered approach to coaching and and be letting them be involved in the decision-making process and all of that like facilitates a good client-coach relationship where you know I often use analogies which is an important aspect of coaching right if we're talking about communication people if anyone listens to the podcast they're aware that i love analogies you love analogies you're great for analogies <laughs> you are um, you have uh, you should publish them, all, your, all your different <laughs> analogies um, i'm sure they're yeah they're, they're littered throughout the um, yeah. the course as well right the certification but like people can respond or resonate really well with analogies. Like the, it makes a lot of sense to them. I, I had a girl recently who's um, uh, she's doing CrossFit, and you know, she, where I was trying to help her with her relationship with food because it wasn't great. And she'd be prone to binge eating and stuff like that. And I was getting her to do you know the mindful eating exercises that I get people to do in this context. And I was like, look, this is like a workout for your relationship with food. And the girl loved to train, and that just clicked with her. Like she was like, oh, of course. And then she was delighted. To tell me every week that's mm. like I did my workout, my my food workout, mm. right? And it's fantastic, right? And, and it went really well. So that's a that's a good example um, of you know analogies and, and communication overall. But yeah, you have to uh, Dean Dean alluded to this earlier in terms of putting it into language that people can understand and remember. Like this applies to sort of the content you produce as well, like in, in any sort of social media space. Like you're, you're aiming at. The, the people you want to help rather than your peers, depending on what kind of business you're in. So I can't, or I shouldn't talk to a lay person like I would talk to you guys necessarily about nutrition, you know? Now, if they're a coach themselves, which they often are, then yeah, we'll, we'll expand on that. But then that comes back to just your coaching skills overall, you know, to see the person in front of you and decide what's going to be the better option for them, you know. Yeah, and it actually doesn't even come back to like your overall approach to coaching someone, and obviously that's what we're talking about, but I mean like the actual even mediums that you use. Like, it would be so much easier for me to just reply to someone's check-in email or whatever with a voice note on WhatsApp. And sometimes I will do that, right? But if someone asks me a lot of questions, which I'm looking at and I'm going, you know, they're probably going to they're probably going to want to look these back up. They're gonna to wanna to go, what did he say about that? It's something that was gonna to apply to them in the future. Like I'll just type out a little paragraph or two about this thing because I know that they'll be able to then refer back to that rather than going, 
was it week 12 that, you know, Dean recorded a video for me and was it in that video or was it the week before, you know? And like we often do that as well. If I do record a video response to a thing, I might just bullet point a few things in it. So again, they have something to refer back to in the future because again, that's just the, the way you actually communicate with that individual based on what they have. Yeah. But going back to that kind of how do you teach this stuff, it is actually one of the harder things to do and it's one of the things that we're doing some course updates it's one of the things that I want to really focus on to like build on and one of the things that appears to be very effective is and it's, it's very again going back to these like analogies and metaphors it's very simplistic but it's like you need to learn how to listen like you've two ears and one mouth so maybe listen twice as much as you speak and I say that as someone who speaks quite a lot uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, when you're talking to someone, when you're communicating with someone, if you're trying to be empathetic, you're trying to be compassionate, like listen to them. And I don't mean just a cursory listen of like, oh yeah, they said that. Like actually try to dig a little bit deeper. Like it might involve asking more questions before you give your input. You know, it might be like, well, what do you mean by that? Or sorry, I don't quite understand. I don't quite see how that applies to your situation or whatever. And obviously I'm not talking about asking stupid questions before you actually give input. I mean, like actually try to get that individual in front of you to expand on what they're experiencing, either in, again, that kind of qualitative or quantitative way, if they're saying whatever, that you need to listen to what they're saying. And it's very hard to uh, get that across what good, effective listening actually is. Now, I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that. Otherwise, I'm going to ask Brian about CBT and ACT. Um, yeah, well, I think, I think it, it links into to what you're going to mm. go into there because obviously we're, talk, we're talking a little bit about what seems to be effective in the, in the psychology literature. But one of the most transformative over the years things that, have, that I have added to my coaching has been motivational interviewing, right? And this kind of links into to, to what you said there. Like, I think if you are trying to become a better coach and you're satisfied with your fundamental knowledge of the nutrition, the harder nutrition science, and you want to sort of develop your soft skills, I think motivational interviewing is a really, really good way of developing that because it, it teaches you effective ways essentially of becoming a good listener and it links into what we were talking about this sort of like compassionate client-centered uh, empathetic approach you know that's literally the the spirit of mi as it's called you know there's there's four quadrants and it's it's categorizes pace so partnership acceptance compassion and evocation we don't need to get into the specifics of that but it, the core of it is, is is essentially being with the person that's with you and listening to what they're trying to tell you and then you guiding them towards a destination that you know is helpful. Now, because the thing about it is with coaching, you have an agenda and they have an agenda and your job as the coach is to try and get them to a place where they're happier, healthier, they're more knowledgeable, etc., etc. Um, but the way, the nice analogy that is used to describe this sort of motivational interviewing, really good listening is it's like a dance. You're not just telling someone to do something. You're not just saying, Gary, you need to go over there and do this because Gary's going to be like, go fuck yourself, you know? He's not going to be, you know, well, he might be a little bit kinder than that, but, uh, oh, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like the whole thing of like when you're a child and your mass says, don't touch that, it's hot. What do you do? You're, you want to test it, right? You want to sort of, um, you don't, people oftentimes don't like, 
<laughs> don't like being told what to do, even if it is within the context of a session where the goal is overall improvement. So I think before before you move on, like you know, if you are a coach, um, motivational interviewing, check out the the, the book by um, Bill Miller and Stephen Rolnick, um, and there's also like a bunch of different courses and stuff like that online. We're going to have our own courses in the future, no doubt. Um, because I think it's a really good skill to add to your toolbox and it links very nicely into what you described there, Paddy, in terms of this uh, being a, a really good listener. Yeah. Um, and you have anything to say before we go back to Brian? Just one thing, and, and this is about, you know, where I was talking about communication as if, you know, it's just about soft skills and it's all qualitative, but that, that's not the, necessarily the case all the time either because we can also present very hard factual information in different ways that is actually better communication. For example, when people are losing weight, you have to ask yourself, where is their attention being drawn each day? And their attention each day is being drawn to the scale weight on that day and also to, for example, what they see in the mirror on that day. So people don't spread their attention evenly over time. Obviously, it's very moment focused. But what we can do as coaches is present data in a different way, for example, showing someone a weight loss graph, that's a form of communication. What you're doing is you're taking all of that quantitative data that you have and presenting it to the client. And now they understand what's going on a lot better. So it's not just about saying, oh, you weighed in at 83 kilos today. That's okay. Don't be so hard on yourself. That's, that's not what communication is. Communication is also about taking all the quantitative information and saying, look at the graph over time, look at the, ch the rate of change, and now they actually understand that problem better. Similarly, it could be a comparison between two sets of photos 12 weeks apart that they haven't reflected on. So that's, that, that's where it all comes together. It's not just the kind of soft, fluffy stuff that's really important, but it's also about presenting data in different ways so your client understands it. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Uh, Brian, ACT, CBT, anything in that? Um, these are additional things that you can learn about in terms of how people get results because often people are hindered in their their responses to certain things that happen in terms of their self-talk in terms of their thinking about things you know so if they go to an event and they feel like they overeat then that can bring down an avalanche of shame and self-criticism and this is where things like ACT is acceptance and commitment therapy or CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you can, you know, depending on which way they, they offer, offer similar kind of outcomes, I suppose. And they're again, just tools in their own right. But, you know, if people are having thoughts about, you know, that they're, they've ruined everything as a result of going to that event and they're a terrible person and they're never going to be able to get all this stuff together. Like that's, where something like ACT can come in and you can use techniques within there to help them, you know, the, the technique is called diffusion, so defuse from that thinking and start to view thoughts as sort of transient mental events as opposed to something that I have to take on board and then, and then actually um, informs my behavior going forward. So like those kind of psychotherapeutic approaches, whatever you want to call them, super useful in terms of coaching because a lot of what we're trying to do is, is behavior psychology, right? And, and you're trying to often just get people out of their own way, especially mm -hmm. with the people that um, I might work with, with the emotional eating and, and the binge eating and stuff like that. And, you know, I often say to people that it's like, 
if you have whatever you might define as a slip up, often what has a larger magnitude of an effect on you is how you respond to that. And does that drag you into a spiral for days or weeks? You know, obviously not weeks if you're actually getting coaching, but um, could be if you're doing this stuff on your own. Does that drag you down for such a long time that you really have, you know, caused a lot of so-called damage as a result? So if you can get people thinking a bit more sort of rationally about these things, learning how to uh, manage their thoughts, manage their emotions a little bit better, not be as reactive to them, then, as I said, you, you can help them get out of their own way and, and make better decisions around mm-hmm. nutrition. It's actually really quite interesting because in health and fitness world, you'll very often see people posting like the daily stoic. They'll, do, they'll read that on their story or they'll, they'll post it on their story on Instagram, they'll read a page or whatever it is every morning and that's phenomenal, right? Stoicism, great. But CBT especially is basically just partner-assisted stoicism, right? And you made a really important point there where it's like, oh, we're just kind of reframing, like you have these thoughts, for example, they don't have to define you, right? Or this event happened, this thing happened in your life, like you can't change that, you can't, you know, modify the event, you can only modify your response to it, right? That's kind of at the heart of stoicism, right? And that's what CBT and ACT are kind of about. ACT is a little, slightly different, but um, it's interesting to note because the health and fitness community are generally quite resistant to using stuff like CBT or ACT or any of those kind of things, yet they'll jump headfirst into reading about stoicism mm-hmm. in their own time, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I think all those kind of tools, these kind of psychoanalytic tools, whatever you want to call them, um, they can be really helpful. It doesn't necessarily need to change your whole approach to things, but it can be really helpful for actually helping someone with their diet in this case or training or whatever. You just end up more developed and, and mm-hmm. then better, more capable and better able to help people. Because, you know, if, if at the start of your coaching career, all you have is what we spoke about at the start, like nutrition fundamentals, some implementation, like that's fair enough. Like no one expects you to start anywhere except there. That's why we started with that. But as you start to develop yourself as a coach, you'll start to see how all this stuff fits together. And it's like, I'm trying to create behavior change with a complex person here and therefore having a complex array of tools can be to your benefit and your advantage as as a nutrition coach or any sort of coach 100 percent. anyway we kind of want to wrap this up soon because we've got stuff to do but there are a few different things that i do want to just mention that i feel are really key and important things for coaches regardless nutrition training whatever uh they're key things that people should know and the first one is you should know when to refer out. You know, if someone comes to me and they have had catastrophic injuries, like I might be able to change their resistance training program, for example, to be more adaptive. I, I train, I've trained people with you know various issues before, but I'm probably going to go. You know what, Gary, you're actually a better fit. You know, this is why we have a multidisciplinary team. But if it's something else, a nutrition thing, uh, like someone has again some sort of really disordered eating patterns, I'm like Brian, like. I'm going to refer them to you because I, I know you'll be able to help them more than I'll be able to help them, right? So you need to know when to refer out and you should build a strong referral network. Now we've done that a lot with the team that we've built, but if you don't have a team, you should still know people, either it's you know online or in your local area or whatever, that you can refer people out to. Like you simply can't be an expert in absolutely everything, you know? And, and following on from that, 
you should know when to say no to working with someone, right? If someone comes to you, because you're gonna get inquiries, you're gonna get people going, like, oh, can you help me with X, Y, or Z? And while yeah, it can be fine, it can work out fine, like you actually do yourself and that person a disservice by giving them a shittier service than they could have got elsewhere, right? Like if you can actually go, okay, yeah, I can kind of help, I can, you know, maybe I can get 50% of your way towards your goal, whereas you know there's someone else out there that could get them 100% of the way to their goal in whatever time frame, like, you've now given them a sh like 50% shittier service than that other person could have given them, right? And yet you might be thinking, well, I, I need the money, I need to you know, get whatever. And there is a degree of that, like there's no way around that unless obviously you have lots of money. <laughs> um, but you actually create a better service long-term and you create a more, what we call them like loyal following, loyal customers, because they know you're only taking them on if you can 100% help them and obviously again it, it's a privileged position to be in to be able to say no sorry I, I can't work with you I can't help you with your goals and um, but if you can get to that place you're actually going to create a much better service overall which brings me to the final point which is one of the things that coaches regularly fall down on is their overall marketability they're not actually doing the things they need to do to market their services effectively, right? And you might think, oh, well, you know, I don't want to play the marketing game. It's all like sleazy and it's all whatever. But very often you will see that if you don't market to these people, if you don't market to people that are interested in nutrition coaching or whatever, they're just going to go elsewhere and they're potentially going to get a shittier service. They're potentially going to be exposed to you know, crappy protocols, systems, whatever. So you're actually doing them a disservice by not marketing the fact that you provide services that are actually good, right? And again, you see this all the time where coaches are just like, no, I don't, I'm above that marketing stuff. I'm not gonna do it because the quality of my product should speak for itself, right? And that would be phenomenal if it was true, yeah. right? But unfortunately it's not, right? You're gonna have to play the marketing game. Now it doesn't have to be sleazy because people kind of have this bad taste in their marriage about marketing, but it does have to be effective in terms of getting your message out, which could be, again, a very specific message, um, but you have to play the marketing game because if you don't play the marketing game, you're gonna be a good coach, you're gonna be three years into your career because I think it's coaching is like whatever, the, life of a coach is like two to five years is the average you know so you're going to be three years into the game and you're going to go there's just not enough money in this i i really enjoy helping people i've really built a lot of knowledge around nutrition or training or whatever but i just don't have the client base to be able to help people so i have to close up shop and i'm going to have to get a job which i'm not as passionate about or whatever which you could have solved if you actually played the marketing game you guys have anything else to add or do you want to talk about that marketing? Otherwise, Gary's going to wrap this up. You want to go on? I was just going to say that as well, as people thinking like they're above that stuff, you also get people who are kind of afraid to market themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, people that are newer in the industry having imposter syndrome and things like that and afraid to put, put material out. And I mentioned this earlier that, you know, you're putting material out not to impress the likes of us, mm -hmm. right? You're putting it out to try and help the people you're trying to help, right? Um, so yeah, you, you need to get started and you know, naturally if, if you're only getting started, you'll have very little experience and you can only develop that by actually working with people, right? And then you know, to your point about knowing when to refer out, I think, I think as you're developing as a coach, 
like you'll always be working with people that push you yeah, to get better. Out of your comfort zone. Right. So we like throughout my coaching career, you know, I'll go through phases. Like when I first started coaching people on this disordered eating stuff, like that was outside of my comfort zone a little bit, but it wasn't too far. It wasn't so far out that, you know, I was given a bad service, like you said, or potentially harming people, but it was enough that it was going to push me to yeah, it was stretching your knowledge. You know, yeah. Okay, I need to actually sit down and study a bit more about this specific topic yeah. to be able to help this person. And that will always happen. Like you always have the first time you had someone with hypothalamic amenorrhea, and then you have mm-hmm. to go and figure out how to deal with that. Um, or you, you, you know, the first time. Well, I suppose IBS is a bit of a complex thing yeah, that yeah. not necessarily going to just like, oh yeah, that's fine. But, you know, there's, there's lots of those kinds of examples that you're going to have to go, or PCOS, for example, you have to go find and learn how to actually deal with that, you know, and that'll only happen because you have a client that maybe... Effectively, you don't know what you don't know, yeah, so exactly. you kind of have to be exposed to it before you can know what to look for, what to actually study, mm-hmm. expand on. You know? And, you know, we coach a lot of coaches, right, in our, right, right now on our rosters, in the past, in the future, I'm sure. So that can be a nice kind of sort of safety zone to have is where, you know, because a lot of my clients who are coaches, like they'll, they'll discuss clients' mm-hmm. cases with me and they want to make sure. It's effectively a mentorship. Yeah, effectively. So they're getting mentorship and coaching all rolled into one. They can get enrolled on the nutrition certification and really, really develop their knowledge. So those are kind of ways you can do this without feeling like you're, you know, treading water out in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, no, I was just uh, I was in, I'm in agreement with everything Brian said and you kind of mirrored a lot of the, what I was going to say, but um, before I started working specifically with people's nutrition, I was personal training before and I feel like that is a deficit um, in a lot of personal training courses is the communication and coaching psychology, definitely, but also the sales and marketing, you know, and that's obviously why there's such a high churn rate with uh, coaches and personal trainers is because they, there's nothing really to to give them that scale and then obviously you have the whole thing of as you as you were saying some people are just a little bit afraid to do that but you know if if you have that fear you're never going to be able to help people you're never actually going to be able to open the forum for for you to actually help people you know and provided that you're not promising the moon and the stars um uh, you know and it's uh, your service is totally discordant with what you're actually telling people that you're going to deliver them then it's absolutely fine and that it shouldn't be like there shouldn't be any sort of moral quandary to deal with there with regards to you know having reservations about the sales whereas like other people as you were saying earlier you know some people are just like they just see people as cows to be milked you know and it's just like yeah like you know even like a lot of like Gary has probably a few opinions on chiropractors but one thing that comes to mind with chiropractors is not all of them now but a lot of them they'll get you in and they're that's like right for the next uh, 20 weeks, you're going to be coming into me twice a week and I'm going to get you realigned and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's just like, you know, you're just taking people for, you know, you're taking, taking them for a runner, like, you know. So I think if you are confident in your abilities and your general demeanor is, I want to help people. I, I love helping people. Um, you know, the, the aspect of the job, like, you know, really sort of lights a fire in my belly. Um, then you should add, that should actually be a motivating factor for you to you know sell your wares essentially because that's what's going to get you in front of the people that you're going to be able to, to help eventually you know and I think if you're if you're a well put together individual you're not uh, 
a psychopath um, that's you know just sees dollar signs all over the place. Um, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> then, then you're all G. So, yeah. check. So, there you go. Wrap it up. That brings this to a close. Obviously, of relevance to this podcast episode is our nutrition certification that will be closing in a month's time. So this has been the first release of the Nutrition Cert. This is kind of our volume one. We'll be making some updates in the interim. So if you'd like to get on that course before it closes down, make sure to subscribe within the next month, ASAP. We do also have coaching spaces available. That includes our full coaching service and our nutrition only coaching service. So if you'd like the benefits of high quality nutrition coaching and a little bit of mentorship along the way, as we said, you can get involved in the description box below. We also have a lot of free information that we put out on our social media, at Triage Method, on our newsletter, the Triage Method newsletter, and of course here on the podcast. So if you enjoy all of that, make sure to feed back to us, like, comment, subscribe, all that sort of stuff, and we'll see you in the next episode of the podcast. See you guys. Bye.